Welcome to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to the show that brings together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes. On today's episode, we're going to start out by continuing our recognition of the 2023 IAC Innovation Champion Award winners. I'm delighted to be joined for the first half of the show by three guests. Eric Hackathorn is a senior developer at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Global Systems Lab in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Rafael Damelaer is the NOAA Environmental Visualization Laboratory lead at IM Systems Group. Welcome to the show, Rafael. Thank you so much. And Juan Pablo Hurtado also works at the NOAA Environmental Visualization Lab at IM Systems. Welcome to the show, Juan Pablo. Thank you for having me, David. It is great to have you all on the show. It was fabulous to see Rafael at the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. He represented you all well, but I was thrilled that all three of you were able to be on the show with us. Eric, Rafael, and Juan Pablo and the NOAA and IM Systems team are being recognized for their work on the urban heat island of Washington, D.C. virtual reality experience. So again, congratulations on receiving the Innovation Champion Award. And before we talk about the specific initiative, why don't you each tell us a little bit about yourself and the work of your organization? Eric, we'll go ahead and start with you. Great. Uh, So my name is Eric Hackathorn. Uh, I'm a federal employee for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, The primary project that I work on is called Science on a Sphere. It's a six-foot diameter uh, carbon fiber ball that's suspended from the ceiling, and then projectors shine on it from different angles. Uh, So it's great for showing off Earth data, uh, other celestial bodies. Um, This is actually a, a turnkey solution that we provide to a variety of museums and planetariums. Uh, It's in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., for your folks that are listening in. Uh, And the project leverages a lot of game mechanics and technology to create uh, immersive science visualizations. And it's a unique experience that kind of straddles science, uh, education, and entertainment. Uh, So we also have a flat screen version and a mobile version uh, called Science on a Sphere Explorer. And these technologies were kind of the foundation for the VR experience that we'll talk about in a bit. Excellent. And and I'm sure you're so patient when people go, oh, it's like a disco ball for scientists and other leaders and scholars. That's an excellent analogy, actually. And I think (laughs) under our our secret data sets that we don't always share, we actually do have a disco ball. So you're not far off. (laughs) Very good. Raphael, tell us a little bit about yourself and about IM Systems. The uh, NOAA Environmental Visualization Lab, we're a group of contractors that all work for IM Systems Group, uh, which is a government contractor. And in this position, I'm the lead for a multi-talented group of folks who do everything from dive into NOAA's data. NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And create products from that data that are shared on different NOAA websites and social media channels. And some of that data actually goes to that science on the sphere that Eric was talking about. And uh, this urban heat island data as well that we uh, used for the urban heat island VR experience. That's also coming from this uh, array of data sets that the VizLab processes makes available for, uh, for the whole world. Very good. And Juan Pablo, you get to say what, what Rafael didn't say about this, the group. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and about... Uh, about sure. That. 
just following the, the disco ball analogy, I will say that I'm the DJ. Uh, so I, I am the responsible of, of the science and sphere that we have at NOAA headquarters in Silver Spring. So I'm, I'm actually a member of both the visualization uh, lab and also the science and sphere program. I also work doing visualization and creating educational content for the sphere. So I, I have my feet wet in both oceans. Very good. So now let's dig into the winning initiative a little bit. Well, Rafael, we're going to start with you this time. Describe for us what the Urban Heat Map VR experience is, and then you know what was the problem set that you were trying to address, and then we'll let Eric and Juan Pablo pile on. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Urban Heat Islands, uh, we sometimes refer to it as UHI, it's as an acronym. Urban Heat Island data has been collected for a long time, and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, continuously monitors environmental data from the Earth from different vantage points, satellites and sensors in the ocean and everywhere. And as the fidelity of this data, the resolution of this data has improved over time, we've been able to dive in deeper a little bit into how the urban heat island in different cities across the U.S. looks like. Um, the um, National Integrated Heat Health Information System, also known as NIHIS, was founded in 2015 by NOAA and the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. And uh, it includes nine federal agencies that are looking to address heat health uh, through collaboration. And as part of that work, the NOAA, working with partner Kappa Strategies, which is another uh, contracting company, has developed and supports a process for cities to conduct a volunteer-based community science field campaign that really engages the residents in those scientific studies to map out these urban heat islands in, in their communities and make that data available to urban planners and to uh, different folks who might take advantage of that data and do things with it. Um, of course, as with a lot of scientific data, what occurs is that there's a gap between the scientists and the engineers and the specialists who use it and the rest the rest of the world, right? The 99.9 .9 rest of the folks in the world. So um, Juan Pablo and Eric have, have been working really hard with this urban heat island data to create an experience that would be understandable and accessible to, to the average citizen, right? Something that would explain to the average citizen what an urban heat island looks like and this increased fidelity of the observation. Eric, what would you like to add on? Wow. I guess I might take a slightly different approach and say that, you know, the world and the information that we observe is inherently multidimensional. Um, however, we typically go through this reduction of the dimensionality of the data, and we try to compress it into 2D plots or, or even more just, you know, one-bit answers things like go or no-go, and that's great for many use cases. You know, for example, you might just want to know, should I bring an umbrella when I go to work today um, in case it's going to rain? But there are other cases where, you know, to make sense of the information or to show the information in as close to a real world as possible, you might want to use other techniques, uh, things like VR or XR, which is sort of the, the generic term for an umbrella of all things covering virtual reality through augmented reality. You know, situations where you want people's buy-in um, or understanding on complex problems where the solution is not obvious. Situations where maybe you want 
remote subject matter experts to come in and provide um, oversight and, you know, advising in interactive uh, environments uh, to the general public or decision makers. So as far as this particular innovation, you know, I think the XR components uh, was uniquely positioned to help such tasks where immersion and the complexity of the data require more of a 3D interactive environment than what we typically see. And, uh, and Juan Pablo, any other thoughts about the, uh, the problem set, the initial, the initial ideas around developing this solution? Sure, yeah. I want to deep a little bit more on what Rafa mentioned, uh, is the idea of how can we communicate this complex data to regular people? So I think that was the most important thing for me. Uh, this basically started from uh, me vis- visiting an institution in War 7 in, in Washington, D.C., where we have a grantee for NOAA that's doing a lot of work in climate resilience and, and climate change. And I wanted to take something there. As Eric mentioned, we work with this amazing science on the sphere, global, uh, global visualization data. But I wanted to take something more local because looking data on a sphere sometimes uh, creates a barrier between you and what is actually showing uh, the data. So I took the uh, UHI data, the Urban Heat Island data there, and I actually was able to show the people there their neighborhoods and how it was being affected by the uh, Urban Heat Island effect. And I actually got a really nice response from that. They were very interested in see what happens and how can they use this data to uh, plan their, their own communities. So that's kind of how we started. And we started building on top of that. Uh, I started creating 3D layers, adding trees, other buildings, and then came Eric and told me, why don't we put this on VR? And, and that's how things started with this. So it was a really organic uh, growth for the project. I love the idea generation building upon one another because it really is a unique solution set and it has so many applications. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back from a break, but we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Eric Hackathorn of NOAA, Rafael de Amalar, and Juan Pablo Hurtado of the IM Systems Group. And they're all being recognized for the Urban Heat Island of Washington, D.C. VR experience. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACDIAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACDIAC. I'm Dave Wintergren, and on the first half of today's show, we're talking with some of our 2023 ACT-IAC Innovation Champion Award winners. Eric Hackathorn is a senior developer at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Global Systems Lab in Boulder, Colorado. Rafael da Amalar is the NOAA Environmental Visualization Laboratory Lead at IM Systems Group. And Juan Pablo Hurtado also works at the NOAA Environmental Visualization Lab and a leader at IM Systems Group. And they're collectively being recognized, along with others, for their award-winning innovation, the Urban Heat Island of Washington, D.C. Virtual Reality Experience. Juan Pablo, we'll stick with you. When we left off for a break, we were talking a little bit about the initial set of problems that you were trying to solve for. But implementing innovation isn't easy always. And, And so I'm wondering if maybe you could talk about some of the challenges that you had to overcome in developing the solution and getting it into play. Sure, yeah, I think there were a, a variety of challenges. I, I will spoke to the ones that were more more into my realm. I would say that one of the biggest challenges that we have, especially talking about data, is how to communicate that data. It's not a specific technical challenge in terms of the technology that we're going to use or how it's going to be visualized, but I think it's more about the message. So 
we decided to go in a way to, of storytelling, to trying to create a story about the data, not just showing numbers and colors, but actually putting a story behind it. And that's how we developed the, the uh, Washington DC Urban Heat Island experience with the idea of showing a little bit of the story of, of DC, what is the difference between the neighborhoods, why do they have these different temperatures, and how can we try to remediate that in the future? So it was, a, 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 again, a lot of multidisciplinary uh, approaches to, to this application. And one of the innovations, I think, it was the way we tried to present that to the public. And again, we use storytelling. That might not sound too new, but sometimes for, for organizations that work with a lot of data and they are into uh, the, the, the science realm, Sometimes it's really hard to step out of that a very close idea of just numbers and, and colors and try to do something more open as storytelling as with it. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because we do a lot of episodes about leading change and, and getting organizations to change. And the power of storytelling is just often overlooked. It's just so crucial to be able to have a story to tell that's meaningful to the audience you're trying to resonate with and they can see the possibility so that they get buy-in too. And so continue on that theme, Rafael, I'll let you pick up on any other challenges that, that you wanted to chat about. So I think Juan Pablo covered the main challenges with this uh, in how to visualize this data. The um, other challenges that we see is um, trying to explain how extreme heat affects different neighborhoods. Um, we paired the data that we got from the urban heat island with data from the Census Bureau as well to kind of like slice into that socioeconomic profile of these different neighborhoods and, you know, look a little bit closer at how to represent that information, right? Again, as Juan Pablo said, the the numbers and colors get you a, a certain distance, but when you're when you're trying to get folks to be able to understand things through a modern and through a modern and engaging approach, um, what we did is come up with these different four different neighborhoods to visit across Washington D.C. and that that's great. We talk about the problem, but what are the solutions? Right, we had to come up with a solution. That's another thing that even different cities are dealing with right now, how to use this data to come up with solutions in the cities. Well, we had to look at the data and come up with solutions on how to present it. And Juan Pablo came up with a great idea was to, to bring in one of these resilience centers, one that's actually being supported by NOAA. And uh, I think he's working very close with them too. And, uh, and Eric, we'll let you round out the uh, challenges conversation, both, both about this, but in other work you're doing, challenges of innovation. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, coming up from it from more of an XR developer perspective, you know, governments in general can can be slow to adopt new technologies. Um, you know, even the process of procuring the headsets that were required for uh, developing XR proved challenging in this case. Uh, not surprisingly, gaming technology in general is, is a couple uh, standard deviations outside the typical procurement process uh, in a lot of government agencies. Um, and experimentation like this, the organic experimentation, you know, I went to Juan Pablo and Rafa with an idea of combining XR with some of the UHI work that they were doing. You know, that organic experimentation requires a little bootstrapping. You know, funding is rarely provided for this type of innovation. So, you know, these small projects need to be able to hit the ground fast. Uh, they need to be small. They need to be fast. And ultimately, they need to show good ROI. Because otherwise, you're not going anywhere, you know. And, and I think 
that process, that workflow um, of innovation in general in government, uh, it still is being worked out. You know, I, I know there's a lot of small initiatives, um, you know, exciting research like this that happens, but it's difficult to get the the critical mass, you know, the exposure to take these ideas and actually get them into something which is useful for the, the public or uh, or the scientists. Uh, so that to me is uh, is one of the big challenges that I think with with really trying any sort of new technology in general and innovation in government. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, like you said, there's not always a lot of money until there's already, already like something in place. And of course, you need the money before you get to something in place. So being able to do things, I'll say, on a shoestring. And Rafa knows from the panel that he was on that one of the other Innovation Champion Award winners started with like, you know, like a Sony Walkman and little FM headphones to, to discover something that then was able to help them build onto that. And so you're right, like little investments can sometimes make a big difference if you have the right people. Um, Eric, we're going to stick with you and we'll, and we'll sort of move on as you look forward. What are some next steps for this initiative that you'd like to, where would you like to go from here with it? Well, again, wearing the XR hat, um, you know, the, the urban heat islands are critically important. But to me, I see them as one of hundreds of different possible use cases. You know, in the future with XR, having more data, um, more people in those environments to where they can collaborate, um, it really becomes the foundation of a tool to visualize uh, future digital twins. So just to make sure people are familiar with the term, a digital twin is a is a virtual replica of a, a physical system or process uh, that can be used to simulate or predict uh, behavior. So you create a virtual environment which reflects the real world, uh, and you can begin to do modeling. You begin to do uh, sophisticated data visualizations. You begin to pull subject matter experts in and see how that system reacts in a virtual sense, uh, and that then can lead to lessons learned in the real world. In the context of weather forecasting, a digital twin can be used to model or predict uh, the behavior of the Earth's environment, uh, the atmosphere, associated weather patterns. Um, you see digital twins being used often in manufacturing or places where there's complex systems that need to be visualized, um, tweaked, and then the lessons learned in the virtual environment applied to real life. Um, I know in the news just today, uh, they reconstructed the Titanic. Um, from several hundred thousand photos. Um, and in essence, that's a digital twin as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I could see that being uh, something that could be exciting to explore in, in XR as well. So I guess to me, future steps for this, um, I certainly would love to focus on urban heat islands, uh, do other cities, pull in other stories. Uh, but I do think there's some unique opportunities for similar data visualization or interaction um, or modeling uh, in XR environments. Juan Pablo, how about you? What would you like to see as next steps? Thank you. Yeah, and now changing hats into the, the audience hat, uh, I think it would be really interesting for us to uh, get the opportunity of people to use this data as they want. So since uh, we already created this very nice experience for Washington, D.C., but uh, we have 60 other cities where we have data and, and we have a, a citizen science movement that actually helped to collect this data. So it would be really nice if this works an example for them to be able to create the, 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 the story of their own cities using our data. That's something that we want to do. 
I think it's very important if we can create this kind of feedback loop with them. I, I would hate to see this as a, as a helicopter drop of, of visualization that we did this and, and now we live. We would really like to create a relationship with, with people and, and they being able to create their, their own visualizations for their own needs because they are very specific. So I, I would really like to see that in the future. All right. And, and Rafael, we've got about 45 seconds left. We'll give you the last word. Where would you like to go from here? Well, thank you. I, you know, I'm going to have to agree with Eric and Juan Pablo on all those amazing ideas and thoughts and the idea that there's already other cities that we're making available as uh, something ready for others to create their own VR experience. And for me, sometimes when I think of it, the, the next step would maybe be something where uh, uh, gamifying it a little bit. Perhaps something where you could look at a city and say, hey, what if I were to plant trees in this area here? Or what if I were to change the color of the rooftops here or add some rooftops around here, right, with gardens on top of them? What would that, how can that change the, the, the urban heat island? And perhaps in areas where during hot days, the heat can get quite extreme in some of these areas. Um, being able to kind of like practice to how it would change over time, I think would be a, a wonderful tool as well. You all have covered so many important things. The, the power of using new technologies like XR and digital twins, the power of teamwork, the power of storytelling, and the power of being focused on outcomes that can be meaningful to others. I'd like to thank you all. Eric Hackthorne is senior developer at NOAA. Rafael de Amalar and Juan Pablo Artado all work for NOAA and the IM Systems Group. Gentlemen, congratulations again on being a 2023 ACT Innovation Champion Award winner. And for joining us today, we're going to take a short break now and when we return, we'll be hearing from another innovation champion, Todd Hager. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on this portion of today's show, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by a champion for innovation and change. Todd Hager is Vice President in Macro Solutions and the Industry Chair for the ACT-IAC Emerging Technology Community of Interest. He was also a guiding light for ACT-IAC's recent Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference and the Conference Chair for our Digital Transformation Summit. Todd, I just got to say thank you so much for all that you do for the association and for the tech community, and welcome back to the show. Thanks, David. I'm so grateful. Thank you for inviting me back. It's a, a great group to work with. Yeah, it was it was a great conference, and and again, thank you also for being a judge for the ACTIAC Innovation Awards. As you went through the 75 nominations and arrived at the three Innovation Champion Awards that we featured on the radio show this episode and the previous episode, and also the five Innovation Impact Award winners, what were some of the things that stood out to you about this year's set of awards and nominations? Well, it, it's always astounding to me the, the number of submissions that come through, and, you know, not only because it takes a long time to go through all of them, but also it's just, it's amazing uh, the amount of activity that's going on in, in any given year. But I, I have to say David, that I have a bias toward things that are embraced by the agencies, right? I mean, I, that, that to me lets me know that there's, there's an interest in that space and so forth. But there's no doubt the star of the show for this year was AI. I mean, just hands down the best submissions, I think. And, and in fact, it was reflected in the awards as well, too. So it was, it, was a, it was a good group this year, for sure. 
And uh, so we have the inside track now into the mind of a judge, as it were. And so having (laughs) judged now a couple of times, what's some advice that you would offer folks who are thinking about submitting a nomination package, let's say next year? Like what makes for a good submission? Oh, that's a good question. And just like any other judge, I'm sure, you know, I want it to be compelling. I I want something that I can look at and, and understand quickly and understand its applicability you know, there are some things that are, you know, single use case kinds of things. And if they can really knock it out of the park, that's worth it. But if it's really narrow in terms of its use and not really applicable across government, eh, it's a little tough to to rise that one up in the in the list. Um, so I, I'd look at that, you know, look at a submission with the idea of how, you know, could others be influenced by this? Could others benefit from from what I'm what I'm sharing? I, I think that's good advice, you know, not only for awards nominations, but also for project proposals, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, compelling mission outcome, applicability, availability for reuse, great, great points to make. And so, again, while I'm doing all this, thanks, because, you know, you are a repeat offender at the organization. and We're grateful <laughs> for that. Thank you also for being an advisor for this year's ACTIAC Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. And so, maybe for the sake of those who are listening, didn't get to go. What did you particularly enjoy about this year's conference? You know, I, I love the venue. I, you know, just being there on the water is wonderful. And we, thankfully we were, we were lucky to have good weather, uh, which was great. Uh, it's a little touch and go sometimes in May, but uh, you know, I was really happy to see the amount of DOD and Intel who were there, uh, both as speakers and as participants I think it's important for us to hear from them uh, as well, too. And um, and I think that really helped the non-DOD agency folks to just get a sense of what was going on out there and, and so forth. So I would say that 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 impressed me. Um, I was also glad to see the number of folks that we had there. I mean, we really exceeded the, the counts that we expected. So uh, I think all in all, it was a good, good conference. Yeah, I agree. There, there are so many communities that maybe don't get out enough. And so I was delighted that we had the CIA CIO there, the deputy CIO from the Defense Intelligence Agency. We had the Navy, Navy Cyber Sitter leader. And so we had some great voices from DOD and the Intel community go along with the civilian side of government, too. You already uh, sort of like you know, made the lead for this interview when you mentioned AI and, and I'll say generative AI tools like chat GPT are getting a lot of attention and, and, you know, it's something we talked about at the conference. So what are some takeaways that people should be thinking about in terms of successfully adopting these new AI tools? Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly came away with the idea that we are absolutely poised for some dramatic change in that space. And we're seeing it every day, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's just, you know, as, as the breakout sessions kind of attest, the generative AI breakout session, it was not even standing remotely. You couldn't even get in the door. It was so packed. You know, I, I think that, that, uh, you know, doing the recap at the end of the day helped folks because many just couldn't get in. It was just, it was so busy. Um, but, uh, you know, AI absolutely, as I had said earlier too, was this, the star of the show. It, you know, there was no doubt. And I think that what we're going to continue to see is more and more of this stuff becoming everyday sort of routine in the way that we work with our office products, the way that we work with our you know mobile apps and this kind of stuff. It's all going to be, uh, you know, influenced by this generative AI. You were an early champion, I'll say, of the sort of first baby steps into this space, you know, the robotic process automation 
craze of a couple of years ago. You know, we we started to see so much interest and uptake across government for that, and and then the sort of the evolution into machine learning, AI. And I think you're right. I think it's it's powerfully important for all of our listeners to recognize that this isn't just something for some single aspect of the organization, but there are tools of applicability across every mission area of government. Mm-hmm. It sort of related to that is, uh, you know, digital transformation. And, and again, you know, you were the conference chair for our digital transformation summit earlier this year. You know, you've got the, the wind under our wings a little bit with the 21st Century Idea Act, compelling agencies to move forward on digital transformation. As you, as you survey now, having seen both events and the, and the speakers that talk to those events and, and your own personal experiences in the market, what's next for digital transformation? Where should agencies be focusing their time there? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I'm not quite sure where to begin. There are so many different things that we can consider. And, and you point out a good thing, too, with the Digital Transformation Summit. I think for all of us, it was good to get out and be together and talk about things, you know, in a group. Uh, you know, not that we can't continue to do things on Zoom and everything else, too. But I think that getting folks reconnected face to face is going to be important because then we can, you know, re- experience these things firsthand. Uh, and be able to see them. And uh, I know that we did a bit of that at the, uh, certainly at the Emerging uh, Technology and Innovation Conference and a little bit of the Digital Transformation Summit. One thing I wanted to point out there was, I don't know if you recall this, but there was this presentation there on AI tooling that that, uh, used sort of a a view of, of a veteran's body to assess their risk for skin cancer. And it was done quickly, you know, just using AI um, without invasive measures like, you know, whatever going into uh, those tubes to, you know, <laughs> get zapped with all kinds of X-rays and things. It was just a, you know, a simple camera activity, um, and the results from what we, you know, came to understand were just uh, terrific. So. I think, again, I think we're going to see more and more of that. I'm not sure I'm really answering your question there, but I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to see that, you know, in just a short period of time, we're hearing some really interesting use cases that are going to have an impact on us very, very soon. Now, I think you brought up great points, you know, the, the sort of extended use cases and applications of some of these tools. You know, the first half of the show is devoted to one of the Innovation Champion Award winners, the Urban Heat Map, and right, and so the application of, virtual reality technology to be able to demonstrate what's going on in a city and what can be done about the disparities in heat in a city. And, uh, and then to your other point that you made about the, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be super expensive, but some of these tools can be implemented. You know, it's like, it's like, it's all about that innovation engine of thinking of new ways of applying technology because on last month's episode, one of our innovation champion award winners, which we also heard at the conference, you know, started with, uh, with the simple technology of a portable radio player and little FM headphones and recognizing that that could lead to advances that would then help us detect counterfeit parts and counterfeit servers and stuff. And so, you know, small investments placed correctly can make a huge difference. All right, we're going to keep doing lightning rounds here on a, on more topics that came up at the conference because I think they're sort of like a who's who of many of the things that you're covering in your professional life. So data, data was the next one. Data, data comes up a lot, but let's talk a little bit about like next steps for data. Where would you like mm-hmm. to see government placing their bets next on, on the data initiative? I'm going to just go out there on a limb, Dave, and we're going to see some significant change in health data, how it's captured, how it's shared, how it's analyzed. 
and I think that we're going to see uh, new new constituencies out there working with with this data too. Not that we're not going to hear from CDC and HHS and all these folks, but think about the you know newly formed organization ARPA H. It's uh, the Advanced Research Project Agency for Health, kind of based on the you know the DARPA model. Um, I think that we're going to see them really shift the way that we we engage data. And I think that that uh, health data. So I'm just going to throw it out there. I think health data is going to be uh, something to watch. I think that's a great place. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Todd Hager, Vice President of Macro Solutions. I'm Dave Wenergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, and on today's episode, we're continuing our conversation on bringing innovation and new technologies to government. And we're joined by Todd Hager, Vice President at Macro Solutions and the Industry Chair for the ACT-IAC Emerging Technology Community of Interest. As we're going to break, we were talking about some of the big themes in the emerging technology world. We've got a few more we should definitely cover while we have time. So let's move on to the next one. Another topic that came up repeatedly at the conference was cybersecurity and innovations that need to be made on areas such as supply chain, zero trust, and other places too. What are, what are some thoughts that you have about bringing more innovation and new technologies to the cybersecurity. You know, David, I, I don't want to rule out, I know, you know, we've talked about blockchain a lot, but, you know, blockchain and, and distributed ledger technology, that that is there. I mean, it is it is an important thing for us on records management and understanding origins of, of materials and so forth, too, that's going to be critically important. It's already in use in many places for supply chain, um, you know, management and so forth, just to be able to understand origin and, and pass through and so forth. But beyond that, quantum. I think that we're going to see some big changes in quantum as well, too, as it becomes more applicable to the kinds of things that, that you're talking about here. You know, there's no doubt in cyber that's that's going to be critically important. Uh, one, because it could undo a lot of the cyber, uh, you know, elements that we put in place uh, to date. And we need to be thinking through that as we move into a, uh, you know, into the quantum space. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep my bets on those two for now. I think well said. Um, I, I think the whole issue about how quantum computing changes everything about encryption is, is mm. you know, it's like a Y2K without a date. And, uh, and we have to be paying like super attention to it because it's easy to say quantum is so far out that, you know, we got lots of time, but we don't have nearly as much time as we think. And everything that we know that protects the privacy of individuals and the sanctity of our data is at risk if we don't get on board with new approaches to deal with quantum advances in, in encryption. And so while we're on that subject, no emerging technology conversation would be complete without some additional talk about quantum. And so again, to that point about even beyond the, the sort of in, ability to break encryption, you know, I, I think it's always important to sort of foot stomp that quantum is now. And there are some things yeah. that are near term and some things are a little farther term. So yeah. any other thoughts you'd like to add about near term quantum related activities that our audience should be keeping an eye on? You know, um, that's you made a good plug there, Dave, for, for something that I'm going to insert here. Um, within the emerging tech uh, community of interest, we, we've just launched a quantum knowledge group. And we did that specifically because we had so many folks asking those kinds of questions. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, Tim Gilday and his team have put together uh, just a, a great group of folks to get started and talking about it. And I think we're going to hear a lot more from them. But but if nothing else, it's it's a good venue for folks to be able to have those kinds of conversations and, and start looking at what's happening, because it's more than just NIST and the energy labs and these folks who are dealing with it. It's, you know, as you pointed out, people are starting to think ahead that, you know, this is going to be something I need to be aware of. And I don't have a long runway here. I've got to you know, get my arms around this thing. So that quantum knowledge group, I think, is going to start picking up pace, uh, you know, in the latter half of this year. Yeah. And of course, on last month's radio episode, also featured at the conference, was another the Innovation Champion Award winners, which was the Quantum Diamond Microscope. And and so like quantum <laughs> technologies are being used now and making a difference for and so so like, yeah, don't don't wait to get on the bandwagon, as they say. Right. So the the last sort of subject area, and then we'll sort of talk about what's next, is a customer experience. And of course, customer yeah. experience you know, remains top of mind and that's really good. And so it came up repeatedly at the conference Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, and of course part of, part of the customer experience thing is actually caring about the humans, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just focusing on the technology, but, but in addition to that, there, there is this sort of idea that the new technologies can be supportive of improving the customer experience. And so thoughts Mm -hmm. on, on levering, leveraging new technologies to help improve customer experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to step back a second and just give a shout out to one of our panelists who uh, who came into the uh, we had, we did a, a futurist panel. Andrea Jones uh, was one of our panelists from HUD, and uh, she pointed something out that really struck me. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before, but she said customer experience requires that we embrace the diversity of both the people in the mix doing the work and the people for whom we are serving. And she and she wasn't saying it to just, you know, she was like, it's it's just good programming, good, you know, customer delivery to, to you know, embrace that, you know, both ways going. And I have to say, we've, um, you know, within the emerging tech community of interest, we've uh, spent a little time with our accelerator, uh, helping folks to understand how we, you know, can overcome some of these biases and, and things to find ways to embrace uh, you know, a, a broader market of folks into the work that we need to be able to get done and to make sure that we're appealing to, to you know, all of our constituencies as we uh, make products available to them. So it, it, I think we'll, customer experiences will always be an important thing uh, to consider. And I think that it's especially uh, important when seen through that lens of diversity and inclusion. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you spend a lot of your time sort of assessing the market and, and seeing what's going on out there. And so I'm wondering, like, in addition to all the things we've already talked about, are there are there some other innovations or trends that you're seeing in the technology market that either, number one, you're excited about or you'd like to just at least make sure that the audience is sort of keeping top of mind as we go forward? Yeah, well, I. I was just at an event yesterday, the Department of Labor showing a little something that we got to take a look at. And I'm just, you know, again, it gets back to this this idea of the you know generative AI and the chat GPT world and everything else there. It there were there were little elements of that in so many of the different um agency presentations that I saw there. And uh, you know, it was just as simple as the IRS using AI for mobile uh, you know, mobile uh, capture of information. Um, you know, imagine just doing your taxes and, you know, getting all this stuff, being able to have that that AI engagement with the mobile uh, 
uh, you know, device makes it so much easier for the taxpayer or for, you know, any of their constituents. So uh, I thought that was interesting. I, I, we're going to, like we said earlier, Dave, we're, we're going to continue to see more and more uh, these things roll out. And it's not going to be the, uh, you know, the sort of big splash thing like we saw with ChatGPT and kind of the woo-woo stuff around the edges. It's going to be the little everyday stuff that we don't even, that, that's almost background. And it's just going to be there and it's going to slowly but surely, you know, you get into all of the different things we use, all the tooling. You know, I mean, Microsoft is coming out with um, what do they call it? Copilot, I think it is, which is going to help us to be able to, you know, uh, create PowerPoint presentations with a, a, a decent prompt that includes, uh, you know, color schemes and how many I want and so on. And it's amazing. And I think we're going to start that we're going to see, uh, you know, those kinds of changes in all areas of uh of software deployment so i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be a a a year of change for us this is an exciting time to be part of the technology market and Mm -hmm. and as you said you know there are like big fundamental shifts that have to be done you know the future of old 50 year old legacy systems Mm -hmm. that are still sort of consuming the technology budgets but so much of the power of what you're championing right now is this idea that a small bet placed on how a, a simple technology can be used to deliver value, mm-hmm. right? And so that sort of breaks the back of the stranglehold that legacy systems have had on the marketplace for so yeah. long, right? And, mm-hmm. and so there's nothing wrong with those, but, but, you know, the new thing doesn't get any life because it takes too much money. So these mm-hmm. bets don't. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I, this is funny that you mentioned that, David, and I have to pop this in here. I, 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 I saw this tool, which, um, you know, you talk about legacy systems and, you know, I'm sure we hate to admit how many COBOL systems are still running within the government and how many of those COBOL systems have lost their source code. And, you know, and and what do you do? Right. And the way that we always approach those things is to take years and you, you know, re-engineer, figure it out, do, 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 you know, go through all kinds of crazy stuff, lots of expense to be able to make that happen. I just, I got a demo for a tool that will step in and just interpret what the thing is doing, you know, in eight, you know, eight different, whatever, all the different flavors of, of options that it, it has and uh, go through all the iterations and be able to crank out on the other end, modern code, give all the sort of, oh, and by the way, in 1982, when you wrote this in COBOL, you didn't think about this, this security, this issue, the PII here, this, 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 and so on. We baked that in as well, too. And to do that in days, it's just amazing. It's like, you know, pennies compared to what we're spending today. Powerful tools. Todd Hager is Vice President at Macro Solutions, an outstanding tech industry leader. Todd, thank you for all that you do for the federal tech market and for joining us here today. On June 8th, ActDiac will be holding its Health Innovation Summit. And you heard some of the innovations going on in that space. So check out the website if you want to learn more about that event. If you'd like to learn more about any of our events or about the 2023 ActDiac Innovation Award winners, check out the Federal News Network website or go to our website, www.act.iac.org. Innovative solutions to meet tough challenges in governments just like our guests today are great examples of accelerating government mission outcomes. I'm Dave Wenergren. You've been listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by ActDiac on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ActDiac. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.